Okay, hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Full Stack Radio podcast. Uh, I'm Adam Wathen, as always, and I'm here today with Eric Barnes. How's it going, man? Good, how are you? Good, man. Yeah, so uh, the reason I wanted to have you on the show, I mean, you kind of do a lot of stuff in a lot of different areas, but you got some of your own projects and stuff too, and I've always found your blog super interesting and the talks that you've given. I've watched the uh, presentation you gave at Laricon, you know, tons of times over and over. So I thought maybe we'd have some interesting stuff to talk about that people would be interested in listening to. So do you mind just giving us, I guess, a brief background on what you do and where you work and what sort of stuff you're up to? Sure. Yes. Um, I'm a, uh, well, started off as a PHP developer like everybody and uh, took a job. Right now I'm working at Userscape with uh, Taylor and Chris and a few others. Um, but I've kind of transitioned into more of a front-end role. So now I'm doing, uh, you know, a lot of client-side JavaScript and the basically from the controllers out if you're into the PHP world, um, you know, all the CSS and all the other stuff. And beyond that, I, I do a site called Laravel News just kind of to keep the community up to date with all the stuff that's happening within the, the framework and, and the community and all that. Um, and then, of course, I have my own personal blog where I just kind of write about whatever I feel like at the time. And uh, it's kind of a hit or miss. Most of the time it's about technology, but you never know. And uh, and then, of course, the uh, talk you were, you were mentioning was at uh, Laracon. And, and basically what I did was go through how we set up. Uh, we built an app called Snappy, which is a, uh, a simplified help desk application. And I just kind of went through how our how we structured everything on the front end and um and some tips and things that go along with that. Awesome. So uh, I know lately you've been rebuilding your blogging platform, Wardrobe. And uh, I know you've taken a little bit of a hiatus from it the last couple of weeks. But following along with that blog series was actually really interesting for people like me who are also interested in you know, building my own projects and stuff like that. I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about that project. Yes. Um, I have this very weird... Uh, problem with blogging apps and writing apps and uh, anything anything around publishing. So back when I started Wardrobe originally, I just wanted a nice, simple, minimalist blogging engine um, built on Laravel. And that's kind of how it all got started. And then, you know, I kind of ran out of time, didn't get to update it as much as I wanted to. So I decided I should go ahead and just rebuild it from scratch. Um, and then to go along with that, I decided I would just try to document the whole process um, through blog posts and, and all, all that. Uh, it started out well. Um, and then, like you said, it, it reached a hiatus because I got behind one week. And then everything happened with uh, Laravel 5, which I was building it on. And Laravel 5 is kind of still in alpha or beta at this moment. So trying to keep up was just too much work for me. So I figured to take a break. But so far, I've I've really been focusing more on the look of it, the appearance, and kind of the features that I'm wanting to bring in. Going back to work, my job title is actually a product engineer. So for me, the product is everything. Um, the code comes secondary. You know, I'm kind of the opposite of what a lot of developers are. Um, so that's why I put so much effort into the into the design and the marketing and the product itself. Yeah, I was actually meaning to ask you about that as well, because you talk about a lot of that stuff on your blog. I know you put a big emphasis on things that a lot of developers kind of ignore, like typography and color and stuff like that. And I feel like I remember you saying you come from more of a, a back-end background. So what kind of got you interested in the sort of UI side of things? And do you have any background there, or has it just been stuff that you've been picking up on your own as you go? 
Um, well, I guess the better term is I started out my development career as a bootstrapper, I guess you would say. I created my own product to sell, so that really led me to focus more on that area. And then the back end was just kind of a necessary means to get it done. So that's why you know, I tend to look more at the product end of it because that's typically what your customers are buying, and that's where I put all my effort. And then from there, I transitioned once I kind of broke up with the bootstrapper thing. I took a real job as only a PHP backend developer, and then now I moved into kind of the front-end role again. Okay, cool. Uh, so with Wardrobe, what's kind of led you to want to rebuild it? I played around with version 1 a little bit and actually hosted my own blog on it for a little while, but I think like every just about every developer, building your own blog is like a fun little project that everyone kind of likes to be able to do. Um, but I noticed that you're using WordPress to host your blog now, so what kind of pulled you away from version 1 to using WordPress and made you want to give it another go and stuff? Yeah, I change uh, blogs as much as I change underwear. Um, <laughs> so I was on Wardrobe myself, and of course it worked great, but then my Laravel News site, Wardrobe wasn't really designed for that type of site. You know, it's more of like a link blog. And and I wanted all the social features that something like WordPress already includes. So it really just made more sense just to go with something that was, you know, already out and stable yeah. and, and less work I ended up having to do. And then for my own site, since I built that, it was the time of year again where I needed to change my theme because that happens every other month too. And, uh, so I already had one for Laravel News, and I just kind of ported the theme over and customized it a little bit and threw it up. But the uh, wardrobe itself, the first version was built uh, on Laravel, the early version of Laravel 4, I believe. Yeah. And then the front end, or the administration area, was in uh, Backbone as kind of a little single-page application. So with this new version, I wanna, I'm thinking about kind of going away from that a little bit into more only just a static PHP backend, okay. um, you know, with normal page refreshes. And my thinking there is mainly because of the community I'm in. I'm in and around so many Laravel developers that yeah. a lot of them are not necessarily care about the JavaScript and all that. So that way I can get more contributors and get more help long term. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, I'm getting into the point now where it's starting to need to add a lot of javascript so it's like well maybe i should just go back with angular or ember or one of those and, and be done but right now it's going to be uh just kind of a, a normal app i guess you'd call it yeah it's kind of hard to avoid the javascript stuff especially when you're really focused on designing like a really nice user experience and stuff like that there's it, just little subtleties that are really pretty much impossible to do if you're just focusing on serving everything from the server side and doing everything that way do you have any like specific goals for a wardrobe as a project? Like it sounds like it kind of came out of your own personal need for something a little simpler or something a little more minimalistic. Um, and I know you're releasing it as like an open source project. So what are you kind of where are you kind of hoping it goes, or what are you kind of hoping to get out of it? Um, mainly, I'm trying to do it, you know, for a learning experience and to kind of share something with the world. I do want to use it for my own stuff, and eventually that will be my goal. But the way I tend to look at blogging I think is different than a lot of other people you know I like to post the links and the quotes and the YouTube videos and then of course the more longer form articles so it's for me to use it I want to have all those options available where a lot of other people don't care about any of that they just want to write so it's kind of a, a toss-up on how to design all that into one coherent package that looks good and works the way I want it to 
and really the only goals is just to kind of give back and hopefully somebody will enjoy it and use it and uh if not then it's okay (laughs) (laughs) are there any decisions or anything you're kind of struggling with at the moment with where you are in the rebuild process i know you've been kind of detailing it as you've been going along but kind of where are you at right now and what's kind of at the forefront of your mind as far as this version two goes well, I want to finalize the design more. Um, it's still a lot of that still in my head. And the other big, real, real big feature I want to add is like a, a hooks or plug-in system so that extra stuff can be added easily. That was kind of really missing in version one, and it would be super nice to have that. That way you could add in all your social sharing and commenting and, and all the typical stuff that comes along with a blog. Okay. So like similar to a plug-in system like WordPress has sort of deal? Or yeah. a little more, I guess. So, so who's the, kind of your audience? I know like most of the people that you talk to are people in the kind of the same community as you, right? Developers and stuff like that. Same with me. Mm-hmm. Are those kind of the people that you're hoping to market it towards? Or is it more for the same sort of audience who would use something like WordPress? It would be definitely developer centric because of uh, Composer and, and all the, uh, yeah. everything along with that. You know, your typical WordPress user they go and find a template and they do the one-click install and they're done and they're happy. Um, so I would be focusing more on the developer-centric crowd, you know, pulling in packages through Composer or plugins through Composer, themes through Composer, things like that. Yeah, I've, I've always thought that would be like kind of an interesting niche to target because there hasn't really – there's a lot of stuff out there that developers need as well, but it's always kind of mass-marketed towards like the less technical audience and – as a developer, you run into a lot of walls that make things uh, difficult. I know like specifically with WordPress, trying to like manage um, different stages of your deployment. Like if you wanted to have a, a staging server and a production server, I found it was always really hard to deploy changes that you had set up on a test server to your production server because there was so much stuff that was in the database that was mixed in with stuff that did need to be deployed but actually was environment specific. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there was, there'd be so much stuff like, like content is in the same database as uh, theme configuration stuff. So there was so much like picking the color of your header would be done in the admin and that would get saved to a row in a database somewhere. And you can't just do like a git push and push that change to production because that's in the database, but you can't just dump the database and import the database into production because the content on production might've been changing while you were doing work and staging. And there's just so many like little things like that, that I feel like are not optimized for the sort of experience that we want to have as developers. Have you like put any thought into those sorts of problems or... Well, typically I wouldn't run into those, or at least with version one, I never did because it didn't have any settings. Um, You know, all it had was posts and tags and and, uh, users. Um, With version, excuse me, with version two, we will have uh, some more settings and so forth, but I I don't think it's going to be a problem as much because I will never probably allow theme customization through the admin or anything like that. So it'll be all the responsibility of the developer to create the theme the way it should be and then push it up. You know, I'm not going for a full-on CMS to where the end user can edit all the all the stuff through the admin. Um, I kind of think of it as a, uh, you know, the flat file blogging engines have, have made a big comeback lately. And uh, there's, there's a few in PHP. I, I'm drawing blanks on the names of them, but I'm kind of going for that same style but just with the database because I don't enjoy writing articles and pushing through Git 
and that's yeah. just kind of my personal workflow. Yeah. So you like to write uh, in the browser, like? Well, I like to write in an app and then copy and paste into the browser. Yeah. But I like to do it in the browser so I can preview it and see exactly how it's going to appear on the site. Yeah, just, for sure. You know, it's my OCD. I have to see it live before I push go. Yeah. So um, what are you thinking as far as like um, settings and stuff like that? I always thought that sometimes it's a little bit of a gray area, but there's definitely things that I feel like are content specific stuff. And then there's stuff that's like configuration specific stuff and configuration stuff needs to be able to be deployed. Whereas the content stuff needs to be able to exist independently in different places. And I've always wondered why systems like WordPress would store settings in the database mixed with the content when I feel like it would be just as easy to just write that out to a config file or something like that, that could actually be put under version control and stuff like that. I don't know. Have you thought about that at all? Or do you see any issues with it? Well, from the WordPress point of view, I could kind of understand it because, you know, you got to think back 10 years ago or whatever, whenever they started at, you know, PHP 4.3 on all these crazy shared hosts, writing files might have might have been issues. Um, and, and plus, I know like, is it Heroku and a few of these others, they don't actually allow you to write to files. Is that correct? I don't know. I've never actually deployed anything on Heroku because I guess they've only really officially supported PHP for a little while now. And I still don't see people really talking about Heroku in the PHP community. I mean, we're all using like DigitalOcean or Linode or whatever. I mean, it's super easy to spin up uh, something that'll serve PHP compared to something that used to serve Python or Ruby. That's a little bit more complicated of an environment. But Yeah. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because they kind of have turned it into a it's just like a platform for serving your applications. Like you're not even really thinking about it as a server anymore. You're just thinking about it as Heroku, right? It's like sort of a yeah. different mindset. So yeah, that might be true. Yeah. And um, going back to your question on the settings and stuff, what my short-term goals is really pretty, it's all going to be based around the editor itself, like the the text editor inside the, inside the admin. You know, I, I want to let you pick fonts and pick color schemes because uh, since I'm going kind of for the developer mindset, yeah. um, you know, Dale Reese has like a billion color schemes for Sublime and PHP Storm and all these, but he also has them for Bootstrap. So I'm thinking I can pull those in and let you kind of pick, go wild on what color scheme you want, and then just kind of go through a, a list of some common good looking fonts yeah, and, um, and kind of start there and, and, and then see, cool. get some feedback and then, and then go forward with that. I know on um, on the original version of Wardrobe, the actual editor was like a hand-rolled editor, right? Like you put that together in Backbone and stuff like that, or was that pulled in from somewhere else? It was pulled in from, um, it was called Lep- Lepture Editor, L-E-P-T-U-R-E. So I just pulled that in and then back, I had to do a few customizations and so forth to it. Yeah, so they did all the hard work and, and um, I just pulled it over. Okay. Yeah, and you've switched to a different one now for version two right i'm gonna yeah <laughs> i'm gonna stick with a markdown editor and then i'm also gonna pull in uh, a WYSIWYG editor i can't think of the name of it but uh so so it'll have either option so that will be another setting you can either do markdown uh, or you can do the WYSIWYG depending on your preferences okay cool so the other thing i kind of was hoping maybe we could chat about a little bit was uh just kind of front-end architecture stuff in general as far as like javascript and stuff like that you went into a bit in a presentation you gave at Laricon that we talked a little bit about. But I know um, like Snappy is all built with Backbone, right? Mm-hmm. It is. And uh, 
I know kind of the trends lately have been kind of moving away from Backbone as a platform for that sort of thing. Like, what are your opinions on that? Is Backbone still something that you would start a new project with, or do you have uh, a different framework of choice these days? Well, I'm still in Backbone pretty much every single day, so so I haven't explored a whole lot of the other frameworks. Like, I've never tried Ember, and yeah. uh, I only have the basics down of Angular at this point. But uh, Backbone is... Um, if I was redoing Snappy today, I doubt I would be doing it again in Backbone just because I think Backbone is more structured around simple. I don't know. It's it's not really a full-fledged framework Yeah, is basically what I'm getting to. It's it's more of like the light end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, you, you can make really big applications with it, and lots of people have, but I just don't think it's geared toward that. Uh, and it's not opinionated enough for me personally. I, I like it when the developers make opinions for me. Yeah. Kind of less decisions you have to make and stuff like that. And if you have to talk to someone else in the community that's using the same library or whatever, there's a little bit more common ground as far as how things are organized and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so yeah, I know. Yeah. You've played with Angular a little bit. That's kind of the framework that I've used most of the time, but I find myself kind of wondering what the best way to set stuff up is these days, as far as, so as far as like the full single page stuff goes, especially for applications that where you're not really trying to like simulate an entire desktop app in the browser, right? Like if you're trying to do something like uh, there's an app I use sometimes called lucid chart that lets you like create uh, diagrams and stuff like that. It's like Visio in the browser, like something like that has to obviously be like an entirely single page application. You're basically just using the browser as like a, you know, a sandbox to just dump this entirely non web ish app into right so i don't think there's anything you can do to get around it in the case of that but it it sounds like a lot of people are going down that full single page application route for i mean an application that's maybe a little bit more of a traditional web application like snappy maybe is a good example of something that uh you know is something that a framework like rails was designed to help you build in the first place right that these sort of like uh information system web app sort of things do you guys do like a lot of single pagey stuff on snappy as far as like the routing side of it goes or is it still mostly routing from the server side and just uh javascript that's kind of on each separate page individually that doesn't really care like about the url and is a little bit more lightweight actually snappy is uh pretty much full-on single page um the only static page is the login and then a, and then a little layout file okay everything else is from the javascript um it's uh got you know it's got its benefits going that route Uh, if i started again today i would probably break it out into four single page apps so it would have the you know typical for a uh, help desk application you have tickets and you have like a faq area and then you have um, we have what we call a wall and then we have reporting so if I, if I was starting again, I would break those all out into different single-page applications, okay. um, each with their own little request and layout file. Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't done enough of it. So what sort of benefits do you see like from going that single-page route where you're doing the routing and stuff from the JavaScript instead of something like I, – I think the only example that I can think of off the top of my head – is Taylor Otwell that you work with that runs Forge, the kind of like Laravel provisioning uh, system. I was kind of trying to dig around to kind of figure out how he had architected that site a little bit. And I think it's a little bit more the way that I would instinctively do it as someone whose experience is mostly in the back end and isn't like crazy comfortable in the modern JavaScript world. But it seems like he's kind of got more 
uh, each page is still kind of coming back from the server independently. And there's just like little mini apps on like each page that manage like data binding and making some Ajax requests and stuff like that, which uh, is a little more familiar to me. So what do you kind of see as like the, the benefits and disadvantages of kind of each side of that? There has been a, um, a big push toward that direction. You know, I don't know if you've seen the news about uh, uh, that e-commerce system that built Batman JS. Yeah, Shopify. Actually, yeah. yeah, Shopify. I read that the other and, day. Them and Rails, or not Rails, Basecamp, they're kind of doing the same way of, of you know, a typical request, but they're using that P, PJAX, I think it's called, and um, to make each transition faster. You know, the advantage is, uh, at least with using Backbone, is it prevents uh, what they call those zombie views, is where, um, you know, you have leftover stuff in the DOM that can cause problems later on. Okay. And uh, memory management and, and all the stuff that, JavaScript can can kind of bite yeah. you on, so that that would be a, an advantage there because you know each time you click, everything's starting fresh again, so you're not having to to worry about any long running processes or anything like that. Yeah. So what do you kind of see as some of the advantages of going the more single page style where you're managing routing and stuff from the client side instead of worrying about it as much on the server side and just really you know returning JSON that you're populating front end templates with and stuff. It's I think it depends on how you set it up, but it's it's uh, it's noticeably quicker when you do it that way. Um, you know, Snappy, I actually, I, I've kind of been refactoring some of that stuff, but before I would load up a huge object of all the, kind of all the waiting tickets, mm-hmm. and going through the app was like super fast until you got up to a, a certain number of waiting tickets. You know, if you had like 600 waiting tickets, then it would like be brutally slow. So you have to find that happy medium there, but... By having the single page app and fetching JSON, it seems to run a little faster, at least to the end user, or at least to me. Yeah. But um, you know, with with a lot of caching and, and so forth, you can probably get close to the same speed even through the traditional routes. It depends on your data. Yeah, I think um, I don't know enough about the actual details of it, but some stuff that I've been like looking into lately has suggested that. Uh, one of the biggest performance improvements that you get from doing things the single page way is just the setup and teardown of like the JavaScript environment that happens every time you reload a page is like fairly expensive process. So if you're able to maintain that sort of same JavaScript process that just started up when you first loaded the page, you can, you know, keep your app performing pretty well. And I know like in the rails world, I haven't done a ton of rails development, but they have this idea of the turbo links. I don't know if you're familiar with that, that a lot of people kind of hate on and uh, think is ridiculous, but I guess the idea is to basically, anytime you request a new page, it still gets rendered on the server and served back, but there's JavaScript on the page that's listening for that to come back, and it just basically replaces the whole body tag with whatever came back so that you don't actually have to shut down the JavaScript process and restart it. I feel like if you're like going that route, maybe it makes more sense to just manage that on the client side instead. Um, one of the other kind of concerns that I guess people have run into that I also like saw in that Shopify article where they were talking about kind of the additional complexity that comes from trying to do this really heavy client side stuff is you end up sometimes having to manage like two of the same templates, like one version on the server side that some partial that maybe gets rendered for like each product on the page or whatever. And then if a new one gets added through some asynchronous process, that template has to be rendered again, like in the JavaScript. And if you don't want to render that template on the server, if you just want to get JSON and put it together, kind of have to manage two things there or 
if you're trying to do some really crazy MVC front end stuff, maybe you have like a product model on the back end and a product model on the front end. And it's like things that you have to keep synchronized and stuff like that. I've never like personally built anything big enough that goes that far on the front end to run into those sorts of problems. But do you have any opinions on that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, an example we ran into is we have, uh, when you're in the tickets area, you have these little um, filters or we call them lenses. And it's basically just a way to filter out your waiting tickets into different, you know, different lists on different pages and so forth. But uh, previously I was having to run the same code on the client side and on the back end. So like when you fetch the tickets, it needed to know where it was at and go through and, and filter them out and get the right ones. And then on the client side, we're using like a Sakadao type thing for when tickets are updated or created. That yep. way it all happens real time. So when a ticket comes in, I have to basically run the same code on the client side to see if it goes in the right lens that you're looking at or not. Yeah. And uh, so basically we're duplicating the code there. And then templates are the same way. You know, it's ours is pretty much fully independent of the back end on the template side, but you still have the re-rendering when things come in that you have to kind of redraw elements, partials, things like that. Um, and then that's also where, where I've heard that React JS is supposed to be like super, super yeah, fast. Yeah, that like Facebook and, and, framework or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you looked into that much at all? Like I, I kind of glanced over the homepage a couple of times, but never really pulled it down and played with it or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't played with it, but I've, I've been hearing good things about it. So it's, it's on my list. My list never stops growing. I swear. This industry is crazy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It sounds like maybe it's a little bit of a departure from the, uh, sort of MVC approach to front end stuff that, you know, we're kind of used to with frameworks like Ember and Angular. So it might be something interesting to look into. Um, have you, did you see that, that news that came out, like, I guess yesterday about like Angular 2.0 and all that yeah. like, drama that's been surrounding that? Yeah, it's crazy. They, um, uh, the part that I, you know, that surprised me is they said there's going to be no upgrade path from 1.0 to 2.0. And then I talked to a guy today who said that, uh, they're just like ran, they're just closing all issues in the, in the tracker oh, for really? version one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. With no comment, they're just going through and closing them all. I just kind of thought that maybe uh, that was just a slip up that like one of the developers said in a conversation with someone because I mean they are they're saying like oh Angular 2.0 is going to be out at end of 2015 at the earliest sort of thing right and I mean yeah. if if you're predicting something over a year in advance I highly doubt that it's going to be released the, the time that they're saying it's going to be released now so I mean say realistically it comes out like spring of 2016 do you really want to go out and like tell the whole development community? Oh, by the way, like any apps that you build today, you're not going to be able to migrate them to angular 2.0. Like, man, it seems like such a big mistake to me to, uh, like I would have a hard time now deciding like, okay, I'm going to start a new application that I'm expecting to be a long lived thing that I want to turn into a real business. I'm going to use angular on the front end when I know they're going to drop support for it in a year. Like, I don't know. It seems like a mistake to make as what I think is like the leader of kind of the front end frameworks these days. I think for a while there, it was kind of more of a toss up between Angular and Ember. But I feel like these days, Angular definitely has kind of won that war a little bit as far as popularity goes. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Of course, now Ember's looking better, I guess. Um, Yeah, exactly. uh, But even like Snappy, you know, we we've been in development for two years now, I guess with backbone and you know each time backbone comes out with a new version backbone's kind of like code igniter they don't really do breaking changes so you just kind of 
throw in a new version and you're good to go. You don't really have to worry yeah. about anything. It's kind of crazy thinking that all the work you've spent over the last two years or whatever, and then now all of a sudden you're going to have to upgrade every single piece of code. Yeah, like totally. Which there again, I don't, I don't know the uh, upgrade steps as far as I'm sure everything hasn't changed, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess like, I don't know, maybe it's not as big of a problem as like people are, or as big of a concern as people are making it say. Because for the longest time when I was like building applications, especially before JavaScript became as kind of important as it is these days. I mean, if you just pulled in whatever version of jQuery that you pulled in when you started the application and you just had that minified JavaScript file committed to your public directory, that just kind of stayed there forever, right? I don't think I ever really worried too much about upgrading to the latest version of jQuery as long as the one that was there was working for me. But I guess maybe in nowadays when a lot of your business logic and your entire application is kind of structured around the front end, you don't really want uh, the stale version of Angular sitting in there and I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it really wouldn't matter, uh, you know, as long as it keep your app keeps working. I think the biggest thing would be like if you bring on new talent, or if you know your main, you know, if you're a small shop and your main Angular developer left, you know, getting somebody to come in that knows it might be an issue long term. But yeah, you know, hopefully yeah, by the end, it'll, everything will be worked out. Yeah. I guess uh, maybe that leads a little bit into something else that we can talk about. I know when me and you were talking earlier, you kind of thought maybe it'd be a good idea to talk about some of the marketing side of developing your own products and stuff like that. And I know you've blogged about it a little bit in the past. I know with with wardrobe, do you have any specific plans on how you're planning on marketing that? Or like, I know you've talked a lot about rather than, uh, you know, telling people what it can do or what features it has, trying to identify what problems people have on how this particular product solves those sort of problems what mistakes i guess do you see people making that you're trying to do a better job of with your own stuff well the biggest thing with in the development world is people just aren't describing exactly what pain points their package or their app or whatever is uh, addressing you know running laravel news i try to stay up on all the packages and everything that comes through and a lot of times like their description they don't really tell me what it does um you know it's, it's written as the developer mindsets so to speak um so the biggest thing you know is talking about you know this addresses this pain point and this is the best way to to fix that you know and you can write that in one paragraph and it, it'll make a ton of difference in people wanting to adopt your package um same way with wardrobe you know it's it's more of a traditional product i guess you would say yeah. um so it would probably you know be marketed marketed as such you know same way it's all about the benefits and and how it's going to make your life so much better <laughs> have you kind of thought at all about what your uh your tagline is going to be for wardrobe v2 or anything like that i uh, know <laughs> i got i got to redo that whole site and everything so i, I haven't yeah. given that a whole lot of thought i guess we'll, when we'll see where all the features what all features are, are in there by yeah the time i guess it's kind of release an evolving product right so yes yeah cool yes. Um, do you have any tips for people trying to build their own products that want to, you know, maybe build a little bit more of an audience or have some more people that care about what they're doing? I mean, you're, I don't know how many followers you got on Twitter, but I'm sure it's a lot. And a lot of people, uh, you know, hear basically everything you have to say. So <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> well, in the Laravel community specifically, I think, yeah. you know, most people who work with this framework and keep up with what's going on know who you are. So, uh, you know, as someone building something like wardrobe, you've kind of got a, 
a good subset of people that are going to hear about it and might be interested in using it. Do you got any tips for people who are building their own stuff that kind of want to develop the same thing? Um, for me, the uh, the most uh, useful thing I've ever done is just uh, write about my experiences, just writing and getting and you know sharing knowledge. Yeah, um, that brings people to you, and it also you know introduces you to a lot of people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. Um, so I, I found that to be to be really great. What's been more successful for you as far as uh, building an audience goes? Was it your personal writing on your personal blog, or maintaining like the Laravel newsletter? Or? Uh, that's interesting. Um, it would probably be the Laravel news um, more so than anything else, you know, because because it's updated so often and it has so many people that ended up following that account. That's where I get a lot of people from. Yeah. Um, I, my personal blog don't really get any traffic and it's just kind of <laughs> been there forever. <laughs> yeah. So but, I know you have mentioned a couple of times in the past that running the newsletter is actually a pretty big uh, time commitment and it's turned into a, maybe a bigger job than you originally anticipated. Is it still that way? Yes. Uh, that whole site uh, takes a lot more time than, than I ever imagined it would. Yeah. Um, the uh, the site itself started out as a Twitter account, and I would just kind of retweet things that I found interesting. And then I was like, "Well, nobody can ever find things that I've retweeted, you know, a month from today." So I'll just create a, a Tumblr and and link to them through that. And then from there, I moved it to Wardrobe, and then to WordPress, and then I started the newsletter somewhere in between all that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the newsletter it's um, I kind of keep a track of all the links that I found interesting throughout the week. And then the actual writing part is uh, the hardest for me because it's something that has to be done every single week. So it's it's always there in the back of your mind, and you're like, I gotta write yeah, something. Totally. What am I gonna write? What am I gonna write? Yeah, it's a little different, and, uh, I guess, than when you maybe if you're writing for a personal blog. A lot of the time, you don't really write until like something comes along that inspires you to write about, or you have a, yes. an opinion on something that you're passionate about at the time, right? I guess when you know every Sunday night or whatever, you're obligated to send out this uh, newsletter and you're obligated to have some original content in there. It's definitely a little bit of a different scenario. Yeah, and, and it's hard because I'm not a I'm not a very strong writer, so it's I spend you know my three paragraphs. I'll end up spending two hours writing those and editing them. So it's it's a uh, I haven't got it all down pat yet keep practicing yeah it's hard i mean i try and blog and stuff like that on a semi-regular basis but uh probably not as often as i would like to and i find the writing process is it's really challenging especially when you're really trying to focus on writing things in a concise way that is clear i mean it's really mm -hmm. easy to just kind of rant about something but to try and trim that down into you know the fewest words possible to communicate whatever you're trying to communicate in a way that's easy for people to understand ends up being a lot of work and i definitely have found like you said you know it gets it gets better with practice and stuff like that but it's still it's still a challenge yes it is uh, i wrote my last newsletter next month well november i'm going to try to do that 30-day blogging challenge where you write a post yeah. every day every weekday for the 30 days okay uh, you get to take the weekends off so that's going to be my short-term goal for myself is to write a blog post every every day in November. So I'll we'll be, see how that works out. I'll be interested to hear how that goes because, yeah, I've heard of people doing that before too. And just the idea of that scares the hell out of me. It's like, man, what are you going to write about for, for 30 days? But I do think like at the end of it, you'll probably come out a lot stronger than uh, you were going into it as far as, you know, getting yeah. comfortable with writing stuff and maybe finding your voice and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard. And it's, uh, you know, when you're writing stuff – 
you're really putting yourself out there because people people are mean um, <laughs> at times, you know. So Definitely. you gotta you gotta Definitely. have a thick skin and you gotta uh, just go with the flow and and hopefully hopefully people enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely hard. I know. Like, clicking that submit button on Reddit when you're about to post something you wrote on your blog there is like basically the scariest thing you can do. You're just waiting for the down votes to come in, right? So, oh uh, yes, uh, that's that's the. Yes, there in Hacker News, that's like the Oh man, I've never, I don't have the balls to submit something to Hacker News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, what do you kind of do to find inspiration to find things to write about, especially for the newsletter where you're kind of on more of a regular schedule or with this 30-day blog challenge that you're planning to do? Do you have any ideas about where you're going to look to find things to write about? Uh, typically I find most of my ideas when I'm walking the dog, um, <laughs> I walk my dog like for 30 minutes every single day at lunchtime. Yep. So yeah, you know, I get an hour. So my first 30 minutes of the hour is walking my dog. So, so typically that's when I kind of brainstorm and try to put down some ideas on what to write about. But beyond that, it, really, I get more inspiration when I'm actually trying to build something. Like yeah. say for instance, when I was doing wardrobe every week i had so much stuff that i could write about that only hit on a few areas yeah so that would be probably the the biggest area and and people love writing or reading your tutorials and things like that so it's easier to get readers that way yeah it's funny too i i definitely agree with you and i found that writing like really practical stuff like that that's kind of centered around like a real life example or scenario is easier than writing about some like more opinion piece or some like more high level philosophy idea or something. It's easier to write. And actually it seems like more people are interested in reading it a lot of the time. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I've always found with me when I'm writing stuff, the things that I want to write about are things that, uh, things that I'm learning about more so than things that I feel like I know. And I, I always find like, unless I write about something while I'm learning it, as soon as I feel comfortable with something, as soon as I feel like I figured something out, I forget that it was so hard for me to figure it out. And I, now I just like assume that everyone knows it all the time. And I forget there's like the version of me six months ago is still out there. Some other developer that's struggling with the same things. And there's there's always an audience for anything you want to say, no matter how simple it might seem to you now after you've already figured it out. And really trying to think about that has made it easier for me to uh, come up with material to write. And what do you think about that? I, I totally agree. Um I'm a big proponent of developers blogging and sharing their experiences. Um, you know, like you said, doesn't matter how simple somebody doesn't, doesn't know it. Yeah. Um, it's what I think Cal Evans, he had a quote. It's uh, somebody out there doesn't know everything, you know, Yeah. Uh, to paraphrase, but yeah. you know, it's something like that. So, you know, share the, you know, it doesn't matter how, how crazy it is somebody might benefit and if they don't you're at least getting some experience and putting yourself out there a little bit yeah for sure is there anything that uh you want to anything else you want to talk about quickly or anything you kind of wanted to plug or uh i guess uh, i'll just plug my personal stuff i go to laravel news and uh subscribe to the newsletter that would make me happy and uh, i've got a yeah, book coming out for free it's uh the artisan files which you're featured in cool um yeah, so I'm, I'm putting all that together into an ebook, and I'm hoping to release it in a few weeks, just as a kind of a free download for the community, yeah. um, in a in a nice to read kind of package. Uh, then, of course, my personal blog, and uh, go sign up for Be Snappy or Help Spot, which are our my work products. 
Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot for chatting with me and uh, definitely be interested to hear uh, how the 30-day blogging thing goes. So, well, I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Well, good luck and uh, I'll chat with you soon. <laughs>